today on Growth Mindset University. Lots of people need help. Think of a way to, to do it that's faster, better, or cheaper, and there's your opportunity to succeed. You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. And we're just going to start. So my guest today, he's the co-founder and chairman of the board of Acorns. Heard of it? It is a company that I've been raving about for several years, actually, where you invest, say, I spend a dollar and uh, 87 cents at wherever. It'll invest the other 13 cents my spare change and put it into a, uh, an automatically diversified portfolio based on like my needs. And I've been doing, you know, this, the spare change, they invest my spare change. They call that roundups and been doing $15 a day for the past over two years. And so Acorns has been wonderful in terms of planting these these seeds, or if you will, that there are these these acorns that will grow into these mighty oaks, and has done a great thing for my financial future. He's also the founder of Blast, which is another investment company that has a little bit to do with gaming. Actually, everything to do with gaming. My guest today, his name is Walter Cruttenden. Walter, after twenty five minutes of technical difficulties, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, Jordan, it's a real pleasure to be on, and uh, I can hear you loud and clear, so let's make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, so last time I had mentioned we, we've, we've been on the phone, uh, we talked on March 9th, the day that pretty much the world started <laughs> almost burning up, and like that's when everything with the virus started accelerating the markets really felt the impact and life i mean life has changed in the past we're recording this on april 1st in the past three weeks life has changed pretty dramatically walter what do you think the the long-term implications of everything that's going on now are going to be in terms of like the finance world well First of all, I, I completely agree with you that life has changed significantly, and it's not just finance. It's you know across the board. Yeah, uh, the, it's obviously um, uh, we all are more concerned about our health and being safe and not uh, spreading this disease or contacting it from anyone. And it's suddenly become where just you know going to the store is sort of a, a risky venture, and uh, so uh, I think. Some of these changes will will probably take a long time to undo, um, and maybe some are actually for a benefit. Uh, but I, I don't think we'll know the full impact, um, you know, until this sort of thing sort of runs its course. Um, you know, in in finance, in my particular field, um, 
the signups at Acorns, even though the market's been hit rather dramatically, most of our investors are quite young. It's an average age in their 20s. And so uh, people know they're investing for the long term. They know that when the market's down, you actually get more shares for the same dollar invested. And so uh, we were sort of bracing ourselves for a big fall off in business. But everyone seems to keep their roundups on. And even though they may do, be doing more uh, you know, online spending, which creates a roundup, rather than offline or in-store spending, it, it doesn't matter. The roundups still keep occurring, and we're net investors almost every day. Well, for you for at Acorns, I don't – like the impact wouldn't be like gigantic, I wouldn't think, because – what you charge between one and three dollars per month per user, and like unless people totally close up shop and take all the money out of their accounts, then like like what you know other than maybe less new signups, uh, you know probably wouldn't be too big of implications now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Plus, uh, for many people, uh, it's their second account. Um, it know. is for me, right? Yeah, I use Robinhood. Yeah. Right, and so you tend to worry about your big money and you keep your loose change going, you're sort of hedging your bets a little bit, you know, you never know when the bottom's going to be. So you might as well keep investing a little bit every day and try to catch some of it. And so right. and, that's and what that's, we see going on. That That's important. You never know where the bottom or when uh, rather the bottom is going to be. Like I feel that there's a lot of people with this bias that they can time the market and they get like one, you know, they get one big win. They do well one time, they time it pretty well. Maybe they buy Disney at like $90 and then later that day or the, or the next day it's at like 110 and they pull out. Like they timed, they, they, they timed that pretty well. And then that bias, that confidence carries over and then they, they get hurt. But I, and, and I've just preached this on the podcast. Whenever we talk about money, like, you cannot time the market. So, would your would your advice, Walter, be then to, uh, you know, I, I imagine you're the buy and one of the buy and hold folks. You're not into that whole day trading thing. And that's right. And that's, you know, there's good reason for that. Most people simply do not have the tools and all the information uh, required to be very good at uh, day trading and there's studies on this you know oh tell <laughs> me yeah well um one of the best sites i've read on it is uh, ifa.com by uh mark hebner and um he uses uh some of the nobel laureates uh like harry markowitz there and um they've basically sold shown that the vast majority of people uh, which are the market collectively, you you cannot uh, statistically have a lot of those people beating the market <laughs> because they are the market. And so uh, to see some of those studies, just go to ifa.com. And, you know, during, during these times, uh, and I hope that, I really hope that by the time this episode is out, I hope that we've really turned the corner uh, as a as a society, and that we begin to beat this virus down. But during these difficult times, when the virus is really kind of 
running its course and the the money markets the, are, are are way down businesses are just so many businesses are, are are frozen they can't even they can't operate um what do you suggest people do with their with their money like what about people living paycheck to paycheck like like i don't even uh, let's say let's say you have some money invested okay like what do you should you double down and maybe invest more or what so there's a lot of uh cross currents going on here and and you mentioned you know people living paycheck to paycheck obviously uh, they don't have excess funds to right. uh, put in the market and so uh they should do what they need to uh do to survive um Thankfully, you know the government seems to be getting its act together to to have a pretty large uh, stimulus program that will help many people. Um, but yeah, for for half the population that does have a few extra dollars, um, knowing that no one can really time the market very well, it does make sense to just sort of have a little drip campaign, and you know, in, in the business we call it dollar cost averaging. And so, yeah, you, um, with that method, you'll catch some of the lows and, um, and you'll be putting some money to work. And so your average uh, will work better than trying to time it. And timing it, you know, our own emotions work against us. I've been in this business 50 years and I actually started as a specialist on the exchange and, uh, you know, we were pretty much taught that you want to do the opposite of what you feel like doing. Because when the markets, uh, everyone's running away and there's no buyers, that's usually the time to be picking up some shares. Right. And uh, when everybody else is trying to buy, it just feels so good. You should be buying too. It, right. That's what your head says to you. You should actually be taking a few chips off the table. So it's hard. What do you think about... Taking, let's see, you know, obviously, you know, I'm still up in one of my great holdings, one of many people's great holdings, Apple. Um, I wouldn't take money out of there. I wouldn't sell shares of Apple to put into a loser like uh, like something I'm down in, like American Airlines. But, you know, maybe, you know, I remember I got into, uh, I forget what, who did I, what company did I do this with? over the past couple of weeks, but I'm just going to say Square, for example. I got in years ago at like $36 per share, went up to 105 at one, or a little bit over 100 at one point. And, um, and, you know, it was still like, you know, around 70, 60 until like very, very recently. Would you advise like taking money out of a winner, something that you're up in and putting it into a loser, something that you're down in or, or is that not a best practice? You know, trying to pick specific stocks is mm. just a sort of a different way of timing. You know, these ones will be good mm. now, whereas other ones will be good later. Mm. Um, and so uh, again, we lean towards the diversified portfolio. So we have five portfolios at Acorn. Um, the most conservative is actually all short-term uh, debt instruments. So there's 
no equity play. You're just getting an interest rate, but there's you know virtually no market risk. Um, and versus portfolio number five is all equity, 100% equities. And it's the uh, S&P 500, 500 largest companies, as you know, but mm-hmm. also other uh, equity indexes. And so I think in total, it represents about 3,000 different stocks. And, and so that's kind of the way we do it, where we have a fiduciary responsibility. You know, we just want to make sure that people get the general market returns over the long term, which tend to be very good, you know. Right. Even if you invested at the very peak of 1929, mm. um, you know, you're, you're still just doing amazing. You can't even – today, it doesn't even make a difference whether you invested at the peak or the trough of that thing because you've waited long enough. And, and so that's what we encourage people to do is uh, get diversified, uh, be regular dollar cost average, and hold for the long term. If you do need money for the f- short term, you know, just set that aside. Uh, don't invest it or just keep it in uh, the most conservative portfolio where there's no equity risk. You know what's crazy? I'm sure you've seen the charts, but like from 1930 – you know, when, when everything kind of went to crap, it looks as if it took 25 to 30 years for everything to get back to just where it was in 1929. Like, that concerns me that this could be happening right now. What if it took 25 years until it got back to where things were in 2019? Is that at all a possibility, a, a Great Depression-like thing? Um, you know, I, I guess everything's a possibility, but, uh, is it a likelihood? And, you know, it seems like, boy, everyone is uh, just getting smarter. Our tools are getting better and better. Um, you know, these crises where you lose tons of infrastructure, you know, where the, banking system is broken and you got to figure out a new way to put it all together. Remember how many banks actually went out of business and that had ripple effects and put all sorts of businesses out of business. Uh, Much of America returned to the farm. And um, in this crisis, we have uh, purposely uh, shut down businesses, but we haven't wrecked those businesses. Uh, They haven't gone out of business, the banking system is still intact. And that's why all the reports I've seen uh, from some really smart people, you know, think tanks and and Goldman Sachs, et cetera, uh, say that, you know, when people have confidence that there's a a vaccine or very good therapies, so they don't have to worry about the, uh, the risk to their health, that these businesses can be fairly quick to turn on. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I think, you know, each each dip is kind of different. Uh, the 1933 dip, um, it w- lasted uh, several years from peak to trough. Uh, but then it was pretty much steady up for a long time. And, yeah, it took a while to sort of get past the last peak, but it was steady up. And so, um, you know, I think... I think it's sort of too late to sell at the last peak. You would have had to sold in... December, January. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I I want to but before we get more into your journey, I really want to highlight here that I just love acorns, and I think I mean there's so many mid twenties, thirty year olds, forty year olds that listen to this podcast that I would just highly recommend. Go, if you don't already, I'm sure a lot of you do, but if you don't already, go open up an Acorns account and at the very least, like start investing in your spare change, maybe a, a, a couple of bucks per day. You can do, you can do $10 a week. You can do, you can do a certain amount of money per month. I think, uh, like it's just, I, I love it. It all just runs in the background and works for me. And, you know, I love the, Walter, I love the potential chart where it shows like you'll have, you're estimated to have this much, your account will be worth this much by age. So like by age 67 at my $15 a day, uh, you know, with me being 22 now, I'm, it's estimated to be worth just a little bit over 1.4 million. And, uh, and that's good, man, for only like $15 a day. Like that's, that's really cool. I love to see that. I, I know those potential charts get a lot of people excited and uh, it's certainly cool. like a, yeah so yeah go sign yeah. up for for acorns it's it's on the app store uh it's hard to miss but walter what is it that attracted you to money and investing how did you get into this world and take this path so originally uh my father and grandfather were in the securities business um my grandpa had actually started as a janitor. He was an orphan and he uh, was sweeping up at a bank in Chicago and uh, right after world war one. And um, somebody said, Hey, grab the telephone. And in those days they pretty much only traded bonds. There was very little equities um, stocks. And so he did and hollered out his first bond order. And he went on to found the bond club of Chicago and the national securities trade association. So I kind of grew up around that learning a lot about the history of the markets and how they worked and, and understanding that, you know, learning a lot of lessons, like trying to pick any one stock. Uh, yeah, it might work good, but oftentimes it works very bad. <laughs> and, and uh, trying to time it and stuff like that, uh, how risky that can be. But um, I did learn that, you know, over the long term, things tend to work out. And But what really led to Acorns was having been in the business a long time and, uh, you know, with, with E-Trade and uh, had our own investment banking firm, uh, Roth Capital, um, and seeing all the different trends. One trend was just overwhelming and that is Moore's law in action and Moore's law as you know means that the computing power roughly doubles each year while the the cost goes down and is cut in half right and and um, it affects any business that uses computers and so when I was a kid you know commissions were like 50 bucks minimum and then oh my the, gosh yeah, then they went to like 25 and then to 15 and then to 10. And I remember somebody broke the $10 barrier. I think it was Schwab or something. And then, uh, you know, you probably remember the rest. Uh, just finally went to zero. And it's because right. we, because computers and communication devices are so efficient, we're just moving electrons 
around. We basically have taken all the costs out. Yeah, I can't yeah. even believe that just probably what a year ago that that people were still charging commissions and and like it seems that now I'm sure there still are, but it seems that now that ever, even like Charles Schwab is is that I never imagined would do this. No trading fees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's very good for the consumer. And if you look at market returns uh, over the long term, you know, being in all equities, diversified portfolio, your returns are, you know, right around 10%. And of course, that means, you know, some years you're down 30 and some years you're up 50. You know, usually it's it's uh, single digits, but right. um, over the long term, it really works out. Um, but yeah, and so with reduced commissions, uh, we realized that um, if the end user, the customer, would actually get a little bit more of the gains, which is good, so they could realize the better returns. And secondly, we saw the whole mobile trend coming along and this ability to to just invest on the fly by rounding up transactions. And we had recognized that one of the biggest friction points in starting an investment account was setting aside a lump sum. That was the way you got started up before Acorns. And we said, what if we could just create a way where people are effectively setting aside little tiny amounts and we invested immediately for them so they never had to come up with a big lump sum to start an investment account. And, and sure enough, it just exploded. Uh, so many more people can get started at a younger age, which means their yeah. accounts can compound longer. And yeah, it's just a win-win-win all the way around. Yeah. This probably came about, what, the beginning of last decade? Did you start the company in 2012 or, or am, I, what, am I missing? Yeah. Yeah. We actually uh, incorporated on Leap Day in 2012. Uh, so so we just had our second birthday no, right. <laughs> <laughs> in 2020. Uh, but it took a few years just to build the whole thing and really get it going, you know, fairly early in the app business then. Um, but it's really cooking now. And even with uh, the very bumpy market, which no doubt scares some people away, um, we're signing up several thousand new accounts per day. And uh, I think a lot of people just realize that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen over the next year, but looking back, five or 10 years from now, this is going to probably be a pretty good time to buy. Oh, yeah. So, so they're getting going. Now, you mentioned E-Trade. I almost forgot. Uh, is it, are you like responsible for E-Trade's entire like, in you know, investing arm? Like, I don't, I, what was your role at, at, at E-Trade? I, I, I thought I came across something that like you, you were, you were the we got, man. <laughs> we, we got their, uh, their investment side going, their investment bank. They, they were a pretty much a plain vanilla platform when they first started. And the, well, in the late- What well, were they? Um, well, they were one of the first to use, you know, dial-up modems to put your orders in. Uh, the, even Schwab, I think, before that was uh, just phone calls. And so, uh, you know, it was just a- Slightly more technically advanced, and uh, but not greatly. And so 
what we started for them was um, their first online bank, which we called e-offerings. So uh, bringing new offerings to people that invested online. And it actually grew very quickly. We were very fortunate. And um, and then we ended up selling it together. So it was a good one. I learned yeah, that. Yeah, you were the CEO of that venture? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we called it e-offering. Um, so yeah, I had Roth before that, then, then E-Trade and then, uh, started. How does, how do these opportunities, like, like, obviously, you know, you created, it seems like you created Roth and, uh, Acorns pretty much for yourself, Acorns with your son, Jeff, but with E-Trade, like, how does one get the opportunity to step into this role? Yeah, um. Acorns was started with my son, Jeff, and where I kind of knew the history of the securities business and some of the mechanics of getting this going, he really understood apps. And so it was a good marriage. So he's uh, actually hunkering down with me here in this house (laughs) during the COVID (laughs) thing. He's putting a big uh, online conference together right now. It's called Quarantine Summit, where he's got the top people in fintech coming together. Hey, that um, sounds, sounds like a lot yeah. of fun. But but what was your specific question there? How does one get the opportunity uh, that you had with E-Trade, with E-Offerings? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, so all the businesses start because you, you see something that, oh, if it was only done this way, it would be a better business. Um, and we just talked about Acorns, you know, helping people invest, get started that don't have a lump sum by breaking the amounts down to very small and making it happen in the background of life every time they swipe a card. Uh, but with e-offering, we saw that the business was extremely competitive, um, yet they uh, were fighting for new accounts. And we said, well, you know, everyone is interested in IPOs, so why don't we put on IPOs online for the first time? And they said, Love it. Let's do that. And so that's what we did. Or with Roth, you know, we wanted to uh, do investment banking for the smaller companies. You know, I, I never went to college and, and so never had quite oh. a sec- security that I could get ahead by working for somebody else or even get hired. And so I was always kind of forced to, well, I better figure out something to do. <laughs> that would actually make money and then I'll have some security. Right. So, so you just changed the course of this entire podcast with you mentioning, mentioning that now you've got, like, you've got me really intrigued and interested about you not going to college. Why did you not go to college? Um, I, I had a, my first son just right out of high school and I needed to just get right to work to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. put some food on the table, pay the rent. And so I had a, a few menial jobs, uh, but a lot of them were in the back office of brokerage firms, which I kind of knew a little something about because my family was in it. And then, uh, but I remember a point where I was thinking, uh, uh, you know, I've been a dividend clerk, I've been a runner, I've been a cashier, I've been a margin clerk, I've been a operations manager, boy, I'm never going to amount to anything because I, 
I, uh, I'm not sticking at any one thing long enough. Then I realized, you know, I know how to run the whole firm. I can go start oh my one. God. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you, you start realizing that as what? Probably like around my age, maybe I'm guessing 22. So I was working all those jobs when I was your age, but I actually started my first firm when I was 27. Okay. Which, which is, uh, is now Roth Capital. Mm-hmm. So you just got, I mean, yeah, like I love the way that, that that happened. And, uh, and what you just start figuring out how to start Roth capital. Like, like, I mean, yeah, you probably knew everything you you're like, Oh, I could probably do this just like whenever. I don't yeah. know how hard it is, but it's not hard. It's just, <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, a lot of persistence and it's fun. It's like putting yeah. together a big puzzle. Did, um, did you, when you came out of high school, you knew you weren't going to college and you were working these jobs. Did you know, like, did you, did you have faith that there was something greater, uh, in, in, you know, for you in life that you, you know, you weren't just going to work these menial jobs forever. Like you were going to do something or did that, um, just start to materialize that hope start to materialize and come to fruition over time. Oh yeah. I had, I had faith. I think, uh, you know, I think there's a intelligent universe and um, it it wants its parts to succeed. <laughs> and it's sort of up to us to kind of get in tune with it and find out, well, what's it need? How can I help the most people right now? And um, yeah, you listen to it. And then, but I tried to use all the metaphysical tricks I I could from, you know, positive thinking and treasure maps etc. I remember I made a treasure map once when I was a, a teenager. Um, and uh, part of the exercise was to cut out things that you might want in life and then uh, put them on this piece of paper. Then when you wake up each day, uh, say the affirmation related to it and then just watch and see what happens. So I did it, not fully believing that it all worked. <laughs> And I saw a really nice car I liked and a house and a watch uh -huh. and and just big stack of money and securities and stuff and just put all that up up there and and put it on the back of my wall so every time I reached in and got a shirt in the morning to go to work I'd see this thing and say it. And over time it slipped down and got lost and put in a box and I remember like eight, ten years later I I uh, found this thing and said, oh, yeah, I used to say this affirmation every day. Oh, let me see the pictures. Oh, that watch, that's the one I'm wearing right now. Oh, that car, that's the exact right. car I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all this stuff. So I think uh, positive thinking uh, and really embedding it in your head is super important to uh, you know developing a clear plan and having intention and getting things done. Yeah, I agree. I actually had uh, a similar, I have a similar experience where it's ironic that I, I threw, I threw this item away yesterday, but for the past four years, I've had a picture of, I, I just love even more than the nine elevens. I love the Porsche boxers, like the, the newer ones. Right. Um, and I, so for four years had a picture of a Porsche boxer up on my wall that said, uh, what, 
is something about like uh, I don't know what the, the there was some sort of inspiration. You think I would know because I saw it every day for four years. But bottom line is, I would stare at that Porsche Boxster every day for four years, and that was always my dream to get it. And now I didn't get a Porsche Boxster, but I got something just as expensive. I got a nice little sports car for myself and it's a lot of fun. And like, that's what I, I wanted. I wanted something like that so badly. And I would tell people like, I am going to like, I am going to have this awesome car. Like, you know, by, by, uh, I would say senior year of college. And, uh, when I, you know, that's how I would like introduce myself as a freshman. I'd be like, I'm Jordan Paris. And, I'm going to drive a Porsche by senior year. <laughs> and, and, and I, you know, and so like, I agree with you there. And now the thing is, uh, you know, I'm touring these like million dollar homes, Walter, and I'm getting all the, uh, you know, at least before the virus hit, I was doing it pretty regularly. And I'm looking at like, I take all the, uh, you know, the, the, the booklets home. And uh, so I've got all these booklets of these homes and they're just, oh, they're just so beautiful and so inspiring. And that is propelling me as we speak right now. But do you have, Walter, any, do you wish you went to college? Do you have any regrets? Oh, I did for the first 20 years. Mm. Um, and I hired a lot of good people that went to Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Berkeley and, you know, great schools, then realized we're all just regular people and they may have a certain skill set, but it's just what matters is, you know, are you getting things done? Are you helping make the world a better place? And if so, you're, you're contributing to the economy and to people's well-being and um, attitude was seemed to be almost more important than yeah. uh, a, a certificate piece of paper. Hundred percent. So you're, you know, surely you're not in charge of hiring now at Acorns or Bla- I, maybe it, maybe at Blast you are. But in the in the beginning, like you would do, if someone didn't have a degree in X Y Z, like that wouldn't necessarily block them from getting the job. No, no. Um, at Blast, uh, we hire a lot of engineers, and we're actually looking more for those that understand game development. And it's often the people that, you know, they were just hardcore gamers that learned coding on the side. And it's, um, it does, doesn't matter if they have a degree in computer sciences, you know, because you, you can give two people a coding test and know instantly which one's doing better. At the, uh, and the education won't tell you that. Mm, that's right. I think grades, you know, GPA, it's more a reflection of like obedience and conformity as it is. Uh, like, I don't, I just don't think it's, it's really a reflection of intelligence at all. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about in my Ted talk that got postponed, uh, <laughs> until, uh, you know, until September, August, but now, you know, Walter, this is where things get interesting. This is something I know you love to talk about your work at binary research Institute. You have this interesting tie-in to 
astronomy and business. And you actually said to me in an email a couple of weeks ago, and I quote, there is a strong connection between natural astronomical cycles of time, day, night, seasons, etc., and the ebb and flow of business. It all fits together. Now, I watched your documentary, The Great Year. Why don't you tell everyone, how does all of this fit together? Well, that's a big subject. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So let me just frame it with a little bit of history. So ancient cultures all around the world uh, spoke of these cycles of time, uh, and the largest one being the great year that Plato referred to. And uh, it was the dominant theory of history up until just the last few hundred years, um, that just as the earth spins on its axis and gives us the cycle we call day and night, and that sort of regulates whether we're active or inactive, whether things are growing or not growing, you know, because they need sunlight, um, you know, it, it, the number of incidences, traffic accidents, and uh, orders that businesses are getting and all that sort of thing. It's, believe it or not, it's directly or indirectly uh, regulated on a daily basis by the earth spinning on its axis and the waxing and waning light. It's just amazing. And so there's a second cycle also that we're aware of the second motion of the earth besides spinning on its axis, it goes around the sun. It takes 365 and a quarter days roughly. And uh, that's a year, it gives us the four seasons that causes trillions of plants and animals to go through their own cycles. Uh, You know, with the waxing and waning light, they come out of hibernation, they spawn, they migrate in mass, or if they're plants there, you know, they bloom, give their fruit and then decay in the fall as things sort of quiet down a little bit. And so this whole cycle basically affects everything on earth. So I was, I bought this as very logical. And then uh, when I read that all these ancient cultures believed in the third celestial motion, that the entire solar system goes around another star and uh, the waxing and waning effects of that motion uh, cause the great year, you know, uh, sort of a, a dark age that clearly came out of a few hundred years ago with the Renaissance, and then eventually a golden age, which we talk about now in our myth and folklore. Almost every culture on earth talks about a long lost golden age. But uh, scientifically, we think we're so wise, we tend to discount it because um, there's little evidence, you know, except for certain stone structures and archaeological finds that we just can't explain. And then in that case, we just call them anomalous artifacts. And so, um, but I think there really is some truth to it. And what's amazing is that uh, astronomers now, astrophysicists around the world, are actually realizing that something big is tugging on our entire solar system, meaning our solar system is... is, uh, being affected by something as it moves through space. And they're all searching, um, generally in the direction of Orion Sirius, um, for some big massive object. And you can read about this at Caltech and places like that. Um, And at 
first uh, they were thinking it's a, it's a small planet, and the, as they realize more and more in the universe is being affected, they, they're now realizing it has to be a large, either a very large planet, so they're perplexed why they can't see it, uh, or maybe a, a star. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're, the search is on, and it's really fun, and um, I'm super excited about it. And yes, it does relate to business uh, very much so, because if you read about these cycles, uh, they each have different characteristics, and knowing what what portion of the cycle we're coming out of versus what one we're going into, we can prepare. And so it's just like a farmer knowing that, you know, you're coming out of winter, going into spring. Uh, I can be successful if I plant a lot of stuff. You know. So, what insight can you provide on that now? Like, what are we coming out of and going into now? Do you know offhand? Yeah. So we're um, the the Greeks broke these into the Iron, Bronze, Silver, and Golden Age. Uh, those are the easiest ones to understand in Western terms, and each of them have their own characteristics. In the lowest age, mankind is only aware of physical things that he can touch, and nothing has a non-physical cause. And so even the plagues of the Dark Ages, you know, they couldn't believe that it was caused by something they couldn't see, a little uh, flea on a rat or something, you know. And so they took them a long time to figure out how to do it, how to get there. But anyway, it was a very much uh, uh, material time. And then um, as we were just coming out of the darkest age uh, with the Renaissance into the age of understanding finer forces, these being electricity, magnetism, uh, solar effects, electromagnetism, etc., um, we start to develop not only telescopes to see farther and microscopes to see smaller, but uh, ways to communicate with non-physical um, means, you know, through electricity and and the airwaves, radio waves, etc. And so now we're mapping out this whole invisible spectrum that affects all life and inventions are being developed on that, you know. Uh, 40 years ago, we, we had to actually write physical letters to each other and put ink on a paper and put it in an envelope and send it to communicate. Um, and now we just send a bunch of electrons to each other. And it's so amazing. We don't electrons. even Electrons. Yeah. We don't even think about it. Right. Yeah. So, I don't even understand how these messages get. It's weird, man. It's trippy yeah. if you think about it. <laughs> it is. But anyway, we're we're in an age where those people that are uh, sort of on the leading edge of using electrons, uh, Apple, Google, mm. Amazon, e-commerce, uh, Facebook, ways to connect. Uh, those obviously are the companies that are leading, and this trend's going to continue for quite some time and then in the next phase a few thousand years from now it'll be more and more subtle um, the Greeks broke it down into the Kali, Dwatwara, Treta and Satya Yuga and they said that um, or these are the uh, the Indians excuse me um, and they said it's you know a, a time where the next age is where telepathy once again becomes common knowledge 
And so wow. uh, that's that's a cool time to look forward to. But Te- right now, telepathy yeah. as in as in like uh, communication with uh, through very very subtle right right uh, means. Okay. Versus right sure. now, we we still need intermediaries. We're we're using computers and phones, even though they are operating wirelessly. Um, we're still using devices, but uh, perhaps mm-hmm. someday we'll be able to just use our minds to do many of these things. So yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating field to read about. There's a book on it called The Yugas. There's my book, uh, Lost Star of Myth and Time. Yep, Lost Star of Myth and Time by Walter yeah. Cruttenden. Yep, Amazon. Yeah, and and others. And I think um, Steve Jobs really understood it and talked about it. He gave out a, a book on this subject at his death. It was called Autobiography of a Yogi. And uh, in there, they talk about all the yugas and uh, yeah, just I encourage people that really want to be leading edge entrepreneurs to study this sort of thing. And they can start with, uh, you know, if they have 45 minutes on their hand, which they probably do if you're still quarantined when this is out, uh, <laughs> the great year. It's on the documentary that Walter, what, I mean, you essentially like you produced and like you made that thing. Yeah. You, right. Um, yeah. It's on YouTube. To- got james earl jones to narrate it so yeah it's uh it's i you know i do it different now it's 15 years later but uh, Mm -hmm. it gives you the pretty good overall concept of the great year cool well walter you know we're uh we're gonna begin to wrap up i just got a couple of more questions for you if there were maybe maybe there's a lesson or two that just has been an overarching theme in your life over the course of your life. Does anything come to mind? For me, it's uh, being successful in business is sort of a byproduct of my curiosity in, in other realms. Oh, yeah. And, and just wanting to do, you know, have a positive impact on the world and, and help my friends and family and and people in need. And obviously that's why we started acorns. Um, and so, yeah, the theme is, you know, lots of people need help. Think of a way to, to do it. That's faster or better or cheaper. And there's your opportunity to succeed. Yeah. I think curiosity is really important. One of my really top values. I, I always describe myself as, very curious uh you know the curious george is one of my favorite (laughs) movies and i call myself curious jordan sometimes like that's kind of yeah it's kind of who i am Uh, it's part of my identity being curious and uh, i think it manifests itself a lot in this podcast and in many areas of my life and to hear that that's been uh very important to you as well is really great to hear so this is a wild isn't card. Wonder, isn't yeah. it wonderful just to interject? Uh, yes. How, reading about how many people are coming at this COVID crisis in so many ways. Uh, you know, pe- people are making masks. I have a buddy from MIT. He's making uh, ventilators. So are many other companies just jumping into the business. Right. Obviously, many people are working on novel medical uh, therapies. Uh, yeah, it's really stimulating. Yeah. Just a lot of people. Definitely. 
Uh, this is more of a wild card question, Walter. And you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. It's okay. I would understand. <laughs> but I'm going to ask a question. Is there any, uh, are there any plans for like an Acorns IPO? Uh, would, that, would that not make any sense at all? You know, our CEO, uh, Noah, said that he'd like to shoot for that um, in the long term. But right now, there's so much uh, private support for companies like these, mm-hmm. this. You know, our biggest backers are BlackRock and uh, Comcast, Universal, CNBC. Yes. Um, you guys, and, CNBC and, and, and Acorns Grow, you guys kind of like partner together on that acorns grow being for people who don't know like the learning portion of your platform exactly yeah so there was a time in this country where you know the only way to get more capital to grow faster was you had to tap the public markets nowadays the private markets are very robust and so you can stay private longer and it just makes it easier to grow right well walter i i thank you this has been a lot of fun and definitely been very special for me as a longtime user. And uh, again, I just thank you and appreciate you. Well, thanks so much, Jordan. And and once again, to all those out there that are worrying about the markets a little bit, uh, just remember a dollar today buys more shares than it bought just a few months ago. And if you're going to hold for the long term, you're you want more shares. Uh, and so that's the key. Just Absolutely. Everybody, acorns.com. Acorns is also on the App Store. Blast.com. Blast is probably on the App Store. Is is, is that an app form as well? Yep. Okay. Yes. And uh, I'm curious. Can I, like, if I were to play NBA 2K20, does that get me in, you know, does that get me money to invest? <laughs> uh, so we, we, have launched uh, game-based savings on, um, you know, Fortnite and uh, uh-huh. PUBG and a, uh-huh. a lot of the games. Um, but I, I don't know the list off the top of my head. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and, and we'll soon have game-based investing out. So, yeah, we're excited about it. Okay. Blast.com. I'm sure I'm sure there's plenty of people that, that, that play Fortnite. Uh I'm not one of them, but anyway, blast.com, acorns.com. Walter, my final question. If you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? The Yugas, the great year. I think it's essential for people to understand not just the little cycles, but the big cycles. Uh, it, It affects everything. Walter Cruttenden, you are the man. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jordan. Great talking to you. Take care. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.